Welcome to The Compass, the podcast ministry of Calvary Baptist Church of Fayetteville, Arkansas. We're thrilled that you've chosen to download and listen as we continue our journey through God's Word. Now, on today's podcast, Pastor Kirk is beginning a new series entitled All About Advent. You know, as you enter this holiday season, 2023, and you're trying to figure out what you'd like to do around the holidays, let me invite you to come and and to worship with us as we study about Advent and as we lead up to December 24th for our candlelight evening service. We'd love to have you there. It's at 4.30 on December 24th. And if you have any questions at all, contact us at 479-442-4634. Well, again, on today's podcast, Pastor Kirk is talking about Advent with a message entitled, So What's the Big Deal About Advent? From Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7. Let's listen together. Okay, so what is the big deal about Advent? You know, what's with the candles and the counting down the Sundays until Christmas Day? I mean, after all, isn't Advent just another word for Christmas? If so, we don't really need it. Christmas is a fine word. But what's been called the Christian calendar or the liturgical calendar or the church calendar, whichever term you use, came into being, came into existence hundreds of years ago, possibly as early at least as the 5th or 6th centuries. It's believed that the motivation was just as in the old Jewish law, in the Old Testament scriptures, there were certain holy days, there were certain days that were feast days, festival days, that weren't there just for man's pleasure, but each one prescribed by the Lord, having a particular focus and emphasis scattered out through the course of a calendar year, that these feast days, uh, these high holy days, were reminders to fix your attention on the Lord. Don't let him get lost in all of the dailiness of life. And certainly, you know it today, life can be just so daily, right? (laughs) That's the problem with it. And so easy for God to get lost in that. So God gave the Jewish people certain festivals. Some of them lasted several days or weeks. uh, But all of these were intended to fix the attention of his people on him. And early church fathers likewise thought, you know, certain holy days for the Christian church could be profitable as well. And over time, these particular recognition of certainly the birth of Christ, the death of Christ, other events, um, the ascension of Christ into heaven, uh, these became seasons on uh, the calendar that we recognize today. And so these were seasons on the calendar to remind the people to focus their attention on God. You have Advent leading up to Christmas. 
and after Christmas, celebrating the birth of the Savior, you have Epiphany, that is to recognize the uh, revelation of Jesus as the Savior, as Jesus on the eighth day was presented in the temple. And then you have leading into what we know as Easter, I prefer to call Resurrection Sunday, you have Lent, uh, days of uh, repentance, of self-evaluation, uh, leading up to the celebration of the death and resurrection of our Savior. Well, there are others as well. And while this church calendar is certainly a, a practice that's often identified with Catholicism, understand that Advent and these other uh, seasons were also recognized by Lutherans, Anglicans, Methodists down through the years, and others. And even in more recent days, in some aspects of the church calendar, we have found a growing recognition among Baptists and other evangelicals. Now, certainly not to the extent of some others. Uh, some others have prescribed readings for every single Sunday of the year, uh, prescribed sermon text for the entire year. I ain't going down that road. But I believe the recognition of Advent uh, during the Christmas season is very profitable for you. See, the idea of Advent is to prepare our hearts for the celebration of Jesus coming. Advent begins uh, on the fourth Sunday before Christmas. Now, I know some of you are going to recognize, those of you that are really in tune with Advent, that this today is technically the first Sunday of Advent. But we began last week. We jumped the gun. That's because we're not very practiced at this. Uh, but also, in looking at the calendar and our plans for our church services from now to Christmas, it seemed best to start last week. And understand also that even this celebration of Advent is not intended to make us slaves to some calendar, but to use the purpose of that to celebrate and to help our hearts be prepared. Why do we emphasize something so foreign to most of us in our life experience? Primarily for this reason. Let me read this paragraph to you. We celebrate Advent to get away from the idea that Christmas, the celebration of Christ's birth, only deserves one day on our calendars. For the most part, the only anticipation and celebration of Christmas in our American culture has to do with the personal indulgences of food, festivities, and gifts, not the celebration of a Savior. In our present culture, there is a, quote, national day of recognition for everything, including National Learn About Butterflies Day. Did you celebrate that this past year? Or National Potato Chip Day. I try to celebrate that one every day. Or National Write Down Your Story Day. There's virtually a national day almost 365 days out of the year. And so Christmas, okay, that becomes one day among many. Certainly our Savior deserves more of our energy and attention than can be given on a single day. Amen? Amen? If you wonder who that quote is from, 
That's from me. I just want to be sure I got it right. <laughs> Isn't it especially ironic, though, when those years where Christmas falls on are near a Sunday, that God's house tends to be more empty than usual, and sometimes churches are guilty of even canceling or dismissing worship services because we don't want to interrupt your celebration of Christmas, whatever that is. So church family, we're in the season of Advent, a time to slow down, to remember the first coming of Christ our Savior, and to anticipate a second Advent when He will come again, a day that can happen at any time. So we start here in this new series of messages, A3, all about Advent. We began with the word Advent itself. It simply means coming. But one dictionary definition, I think, says it maybe best. It'll be on the screen. Advent is to note the arrival of a notable person. The arrival of a notable person. And I would add in this case, the most notable person in history. With that in mind, let's read our text from Galatians chapter 4. And I'm going to go ahead and encourage you to put your Bible marker there because we will be using these four verses for the next four Sundays. All right? Beginning in verse 4. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you were sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you were no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God for it. Well, this passage from Galatians 4 reflects on God sending his son into the world. And it's written here by Paul under the inspiration of the Spirit in a much larger context uh, of a theological argument or a theological discussion about what it means to be the children of God and co-heirs with Christ. We don't want to just lift a passage out of context and not recognize what the whole book is about, but we're not preaching through Galatians now. We're not looking verse by verse. Let me just say this to you. Paul is writing to some Gentile believers who are being persuaded by false teachers that yes, it's good that you have by faith trusted in Christ as your Savior. But Paul only preached to you a partial gospel. That the real truth is, you not only need to trust in Christ, but you need to adopt also Old Testament Jewish practices, such as circumcision and other things of the Jewish law, in order to be fully included in, into God's people, into God's kingdom. And Paul is writing to these Galatian believers, some of the first 
converts of his missionary efforts on his first missionary journey. And he is writing to them, and he is countering that false teaching. In fact, in chapter 1 of Galatians, he will even say, I'm astonished, I'm flabbergasted that you are so quickly removed from the gospel I preach to you to another gospel. And then he goes on to say, there is no real other gospel. There's only one gospel. What's been added to it that you've heard and that you are embracing and that you're falling prey to is a false gospel. It is a perverted gospel. And he's calling them back to gospel purity, that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, as taught in God's word alone, for the glory of God alone. And so in these four verses, he is, in that context of that argument, reminding them of exactly what the gospel is at its most fundamental level. A3, all about Advent. Today I want to focus on the what of Advent. Exactly what is it? Look again at verse 4 and 5. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive the adoption of as sons. Now over the next few Sundays leading to Christmas Eve, every word of those two verses will be taught and explained as we work through this series. For our attention today, focus on five words. God sent forth his son. God sent forth his son. Let me give you three points. No surprises there, right? Three points about those five words. First of all, there is an author of Advent. Who is the author of Advent? Who thought it up? Who dreamed it up? Who caused it to come to pass? And so we begin with the word and the name God. He is the originator of all things. Who else could have dreamed up such a story. The gospel is the most unique story in all of the religions of the world. All other religions tell you that you've got to work, you've got to die, you've got to sacrifice, you've got to pay the price to earn your way into a glorious hereafter. But only the gospel of Jesus Christ tells us that all of your work and all of your sacrifice is not going to do that. That God is not a God of a frowning countenance just glaring down at you. That guess what? As the song we just sang a few moments ago said, he not only pleads, O come, all you faithful, He pleads also, oh, come, all you unfaithful. My arms are open to whoever you are and wherever you are today. And instead of us having to sacrifice to earn our way into his presence, that is not good news. That's not a gospel. A gospel is the fact that God became flesh to dwell among us and pay the price for our sins. 
Everything begins and ends with this creator God and his plan for creation. He is the one and only true God, the source of all things that we see and know. He is sovereign over all people and all things. There are no coincidences. There are no random events. There are no unexplainable, as far as God is concerned, events or people in this world. He is sovereign over all people and all things. He is righteous, holy, and perfect, not a fickle to God as the uh, Roman mythology and Greek mythology portrayed the gods. He is a just God who is just in his dealings and in his decisions. And guess what? Even when he allows things or prescribes things that you don't understand and you don't agree with, guess what? You don't get a vote. He is just in all things, whatever it is, even when we do not understand. He is loving and benevolent towards his people. He is eternal. There was neither beginning nor is there an end to his existence. He is omnipotent. He is all-powerful. He is omniscient, seeing and knowing all things, even the secret things of your mind and of your heart. He is omnipresent. He is everywhere at all times. He is completely truthful in everything that he has said and done, and he is forever unchanging. As Scripture tells us the same yesterday, today, and forever, he is the same. The author of Advent is God. Now notice, as God, he took action. That's point number two, the action. What did he do? God sent forth. One commentator, in order to capture the, the whole idea of this idea that God sent forth, writes it this way. He sent forth from himself as his representative, a person. He sent someone to speak for himself, to be his personal representative. Because God is the author of Advent, and we need to remember that the name or the word author, I just figured this out this week. That's the first six letters of the word authority. Now let that keep you awake tonight. He's the author. He has all authority in heaven and on earth. And only the authority, only the author has the right and the privilege to send forth Someone to speak for him. Sent forth. The word means to dispatch on a mission. To dispatch on a mission. It means that the one he sends forth is a pervading influence. What does that mean? Pervading means to saturate, to infuse, to infiltrate, uh, to encompass that Jesus as it says in Ephesians chapter 1, he is the one who fills, pervades, saturates all in all. Now keep in mind that Advent is about this benevolent God taking the initiative to reach down to man. For man in his own sin would never reach up to God. Romans chapter 3 tells us 
that because of the deadness of our souls, because of the absolute inability of our human flesh, not only ability, even desire, that no man seeks after God, no man searches after God. When people say they found God, it only seems to them that they found God because you will never find God unless, first of all, God is calling you to himself. He is that pervading influence that saturates the world that he came into. Dear friends, our God is ascending God. He sent Abraham to the promised land. He sent Jacob to Egypt for the future salvation of his people, an event that was not going to happen for at least 400 years. He sent angels as messengers to proclaim truth, to protect people, and to comfort the heartbroken. He sent prophets to call his people back to himself and listen to me most of all he sent his own son to be the savior of the world and it was his son that became that is known to us as not only the only hope for salvation for the world but the one who is called the anointed one that's point number three the author was God the action he sent forth the anointed, his son. His son is the anointed word, uh, anointed one. The word anointed means chosen and empowered for supernatural results. The fact that Jesus was and is God's one and only, his only begotten son, means two things that we need to recognize today. It means many things, but two things for us to remember. That this one he sent, Jesus, his own son, it signifies Jesus' eternal existence. And all those other cases of God sending, he selected a faithful servant, whether it was Abraham, Jacob, whether it was one of the prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Micah, or any of those. But they were all fallen and sinful, frail men. But when it came to the work of salvation, he sent his one and only son. His one and only son was eternally existent with him. He didn't reach down to earth to find this servant. This anointed one was right there in eternity past with him from the very beginning before there was a beginning. Jesus stood as a lamb slain from the foundation of the world. When Matthew begins his gospel as he records it, he begins in the Old Testament when gives to us a genealogy of Joseph. Why? Because if any man was going to be a prophet or a priest, especially in Israel's day and in their customs, he had to be able to prove the genealogy on his father's side. So out of courtesy, God gives to us the genealogy of Joseph, although Joseph was not his real father, God was. Mark 
and Luke both began with the time of Christ with John the Baptist baptizing and Jesus showing up on the scene. But when John records his gospel, he reaches back, not at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, not back to hundreds or thousands of years into the Old Testament. John reaches back to eternity past and he begins his gospel with these words. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Word is capitalized there some three times. It is a name for Jesus. We don't know. We don't know. Theologians will disagree that when did the Word of God, God's Son as we call Him, Jesus, when did he become the Son of God? Was he God's Son in eternity past? Or was he an eternal part of the Trinity known as the Word or some other name? Did he become Son only when he was born and began his earthly ministry? Scholars will disagree, and I don't have the mind enough to figure that thing out. But I know this, he was eternally existent with God the Father. In the beginning was the Word. And so we had, before anything else, we had the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, a perfect trinity, three individuals, but not three gods, three yet one. It declares his divine nature, that since he is the Son, he bears the nature of his Father. Everything God is, Jesus also is. That's why Jesus said during the course of his ministry, when he was asked by his apostles, Father or Jesus, Master, show us the Father. And what did Jesus answer? If you have seen me, you have seen the Father. Everything God the Father is, I, God the Son, am. That's why John continues in chapter 1 and says this, All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. Jesus was creator. Jesus is life, eternal life, everlasting life, abundant life. And this life is the light of men. And apart from Jesus, there is no light. All there is is utter darkness. Someone might argue that as God's son, Jesus is submissive to the Father. That is true. He is submissive to the Father. But understand, that does not mean he is less than the Father. He is not less than the Father, although he chose to sit. Remember a couple of months ago as we were making our way ever so slowly through the book of Philippians? you remember that? And you remember back to chapter 2 where we had a passage very familiar to you that we said was an ancient hymn, maybe even a hymn sung by the church in Paul's day. And remember how it talked about how Jesus did not consider his, his privilege and his power as God in heaven, that this was something he had to hang on to, but he was willing to turn loose of that. 
and he humbled himself, and he became obedient unto death, even death on the cross, the, the ultimate, ultimate sacrifice, that he would not only God become flesh, but he would become flesh and be a servant, and not just submit himself to a human death, but the most humiliating and miserable and painful and agonizing deaths anyone could ever experience, death on a cruel cross. And because of that, the Father has highly exalted him, given him a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, guess what? Every one of you, all of you will bow your knees to him someday, if not in this life, when you stand before him, every knee will bow, and every tongue is going to confess that Jesus is God to the glory of God the Father. Remember that Jesus submitted himself, his will to the Father, but it didn't make him less than the Father. That's why in verse 14 of John chapter 1, listen to how John continues. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and full of truth. I like the way Eugene Peterson's paraphrase, the message puts this. When it says that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, he says, and God became man and he moved into the neighborhood. Jesus has done moved into the neighborhood, folks. That's Advent. He came. A most notable person has arrived. He lives in your neighborhood. He walks the rooms of your house. He moves through your mind and heart, seeing what is there. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. This is the great and central truth of Advent. God became flesh to dwell among us. This is why Isaiah 9 says to us, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them light has come. Listen to this. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And remember that while children being born happens thousands of times all around the globe and has for thousands and thousands of years, only one time has God become flesh. And he came into this earth, in this world, in a most unusual way. Not with pomp and circumstance, not with trumpet sounds and flags waving, but God. That day Jesus left heaven. He stepped out of heaven, no doubt, no doubt, to perhaps the questions and confusion of the myriad of angels of heaven because they don't know the whole plan. The Bible teaches us they are looking in to our lives and into this world. And they are learning what they are seeing of how God works in us. They're learning about their Father that they serve and worship every single day in heaven. And these angels, can you imagine when Jesus got ready to leave heaven? All heaven fell deathly silent. What's happening? What's going on? And Jesus leaves glory. 
and in some way passes through the veil of time and space. And how does he come to us? He comes to us as an embryo in the womb of a teenage girl, a peasant girl living in a little bywater town called Nazareth. That's a most unusual story. So fragile. Folks, understand, if for no other reason at all that out of science or morals or philosophy that we can argue and debate and dream up, that story alone should cause us to value life at the moment of conception. For that's the way our Savior came into this world. For nine months he was nurtured in her womb, feeding on the nourishment of his physical mother. And then after nine months, when the trauma and the pangs of childbirth came upon her, he passes through the birth canal and he comes out wet and covered with vernix and afterbirth as he comes into this world in a cave outside the village of Bethlehem, far from home. And he's laid in a carved out rock manger among other animals. That's our Savior. The anointed one. A child is born. But understand before that could happen, a son had to be given. The father had to be willing to take the action of sending his own son. The father had to be the initiator of all of that so that we could have this Christmas story, this Advent story. God was the author of that plan. He took action on our behalf and he sent forth his anointed son. That's the what of Advent. That's what it's all about. Pastor Alistair Begg said it this way. The storyline of the Bible is the storyline of God taking the initiative in seeking out a people who are his very own. Are you one of his? Have you believed this story and not just because it's a sweet Christmas story to remember once a year, but I mean to embrace it because it's all about life and death. It's all about life and living. And while we don't have to sacrifice ourselves and keep a bunch of laws and work our fingers to the bone to earn our way to him when he truly comes into a person's heart and there is true salvation, listen to me, we are willing to sacrifice anything and everything for him. We are willing to give ourselves and all that we have because he was willing to give his all to us and for us. Do you know him? Father, thank you. Thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you for the advent, the coming of this most notable person, your son, Jesus Christ. 
May we, not just during a day called Christmas, not just during a season we recognize as Advent, but all year long, may we remember that you are the author of all things eternal, that you took action and sent your son, and you did so that we might know him and that we might have a relationship with you. If anyone under the sound of my voice does not know you personally, I pray that you would call them to yourself today. In Jesus' name, amen. Our heart's desire is that you grow and understand the direction God has for you in your life. We hope that by listening today, you are one step closer to discovering that for yourself. If you live in Northwest Arkansas and are looking for a church to call your own, we invite you to reach out to us at Calvary as we study and serve together. We meet for worship at 1030 on Sunday mornings at 1410 North Porter Road in Fayetteville, Arkansas. If you wish to find out more information about Calvary Church or simply contact us, you can do that through our Facebook page or at calvaryfayetteville.com. Until next time, remember that God, His Word, and His people can provide direction for life.